Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, uh, what's our topic for this episode? Well, we got a question. I'm going to let you start this one because I don't think it's an easy one, but it's a great one. Uh, tech versus text. When and how do I decide as a teacher to make the move or as a parent from tech to text or text to tech? Well, I will first interpret that question to be, when do I decide to start focusing more on finding tech tools to support writing specifically? And I was um, thinking reading, which is funny. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good. So I'll talk about writing and you can talk about reading. And I think that, uh, they, they, the answers may be similar and I'm, I'll be curious to see what you think. But um, my, my first thought is a simple one. Um, even, young, even young children today, um, whether they are a child with disabilities, um, you know, abilities of any range, should actually be learning um, to use technology to write. It, that is a norm now. I see, I see people who are resistant to letting um, even older kids or kids who need uh, voice to text, for example, as support. I've, I've known teachers who are really hesitant or who resist refuse to let them use that as though it's some kind of an unfair advantage. And the truth is all of my friends who are in the highest level professions, such as um, doctors and attorneys, they all use voice to text. All of my friends in those fields use voice to text. They do not hand type or hand write anything anymore. So I don't, I don't, I don't fear uh, using uh, voice recognition and tools like that at all at any level personally. Um, in terms of when do we actually turn to it, again, in my opinion, uh, I think parents and teachers, when they see a child start to struggle to a degree that they're falling behind in whatever content area they're working in, we need to start putting the tech in their hands so that whatever writing uh, or reading, but in this case, writing issues they're having don't in their interfere with all of the other content areas. So for me, rule number one would be to start looking at um, technology tools to increase word productivity in general. So if I see that, that a student is falling, starts to fall behind in producing work, and I suspect it's because he or she really struggles with writing, and everything I'm asking kids to do involves writing, then I'm going to start finding some tech to support that child, even if it's a, a pretty young child. One caveat to that is that when it comes to voice recognition, as you know, um, uh, very young kids uh, don't produce words that are as easily recognized sometimes. Um, so I think that's for right now, one natural way to not, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily very young kids. But I, I think that it's, it's case by case, but I, would not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't base it on an age. I would base it on a need, and that need is to not fall behind in everything else because of presumably a learning disability or something that is interfering with their writing. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's really easy to think about writing. If I can't write, you, of course, give me technology. If my mind doesn't produce writing but my hands are capable we aren't so quick to jump there. And so I think I'm a big believer that, you know, 
um, especially after what we've been through in this whole pandemic, any tool somebody has, why would we say, oh, I'm sorry, you have a better screwdriver, you can't use it. Um, And I think it's about productivity. So I believe technology for kids with disabilities should be about productivity. And if I produce more and better and have better outcomes with technology, why would we do that in preschool? Um, Why would we wait? And, you know, well, it's kind of like, well, my siblings will speak to me speak for me if, if I don't learn to speak for myself. Well, you know, some kids don't speak for themselves a lot because they have five siblings. Uh, yet sometimes people say, well, if the computer speaks for the kid, they won't learn to talk. I actually think it's about stress. And I see technology as a tool to alleviate stress. And for some people, it creates stress. And so again, um, I think about kids who can't, who can't read text. Well, let's just look at the picture harder. Let's look at the words longer. You know, I've always wondered what looking harder was, but I do think that's kind of the mantra is it's about effort. And when it's no longer effort isn't producing any outcome, it's time to, in my opinion, try um, uh, text to speech, speech to text. It doesn't matter which way we go, writing or reading. I think we're kind of saying the same thing. But I think as parents, I hope that this technology burst that we've had will make us less fearful of that. But here's what is most interesting. I just believe that for reading, we should be using it for everybody. There's a 20 to 30% learning gain when you see it and hear it. Um, and that technology is pretty easy. I know at our university, there's access to students, anybody who wants to use like Read, Write, Gold. Um, those kinds of programs, Bookshare, all those things that are out there, but even your basic accessibility features. So I, much like you, don't think there's an age. I think when there's a need, and I think that need for technology should be when we see stress, because you and I both know when the brain is stressed, the, eff- uh, the efficacy of learning and the outcome is much, much less. And I think for kids, we expect them to read more. The, the one other thing I'll say there is, I don't know about you, but do you hear this all the time? Well, but that's not an accommodation they can have on the state test. <laughs> I don't know about your response. Mine usually is, I really don't care because <laughs> it doesn't go over so well, but I'm going to be honest with you. If 179 days I'm stressed out and I don't learn because one day I'm not allowed to use something, whereas if 179 days I become more relaxed and more fluent in whatever that skill is, I certainly won't do worse <clears throat> than if I never got on the treadmill in the first place to start with. So I think it's one of those, those pieces, but those are some of my thoughts I don't think it's age. I think it's about need and stress. Well, you mentioned self-efficacy, and I think that's the direction that I'm thinking as well. You know, I think one of the biggest problems to kids is they take that that first spelling test um, in school, and up until they take that test, they they I'm speaking now, you know, particularly kids with learning disabilities, for example, um, and they they're cognitively just like their peers, but they take that first spelling test and they get all of them wrong except one. And they didn't even realize before then that they actually had a, had a difference. And they're wondering, wow, I, I worked really hard and, and studied for this. And this, you know, Lisa got 10 out of 10 and I got one out of 10. And so I, I, I work hard and I, I study again and I take the next spelling test the next week and I still only get one out of 10. For, Becky, really, but for you, that's pretty good. No, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so I, I just begin very early on to think that I'm not smart and I always believed that I was. And now 
differently when I compare myself to the student sitting next to me. And I'm like, Lisa doesn't even know very much. How can she get better than this test? Um, and I do think that, you know, at a young age, words, reading and writing them in particular, uh, for kids with learning disabilities who struggle with, with, with words, um, I, I think that it causes that, that, that gap in confidence that actually puts them on the tra trajectory to not succeed to the degree in some cases that they're, they're certainly able to. So I do think that um, preserving a student's confidence um, is, the, is the key in helping that student feel successful. And I'll put any tool that I can um, in his or her hands. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, Lisa, but many years ago now, um, we had Steve Graham on our campus, who is an expert in writing. Oh. And this was even before some of these tools were as readily available as they are now. And I asked him specifically whether he thought um, speech uh, to text was kind of an, uh, was it still right his mind as a writing expert? You know, is it still writing? Is it fair? And he really had to think about that. And because he wasn't really that familiar with speech to text. And he said that he, um, he said, you know, um, I guess if I think about it, writing is a mental process. It's not a physical one. It's not how you put the words down. It's, it's, a, it's a thought process. And if we can remind ourselves of that, at least on the writing side, um, I think it, I think it gives us a little bit more freedom and some people helps them feel a little bit better about that idea of, you know, what is the goal of writing in the first place and why wouldn't a tool be fine. Um, in, in terms of reading, I always think about audiobooks. You know, I, I love to read. A lot of us love to read, but there are times when I will listen to an audiobook because, you know, frankly, it's not safe to, you know, read while I'm driving, for example. Oh, come on, Becky, come um, on, not you. You're pretty multi-talented. <laughs> Look, I've, I've done a lot of things, but I try not to do that one, Lisa. Yeah. Um, but it does, you know, I don't, it doesn't mean that I, I, I enjoy the book more because I heard it. And in fact, I, I prefer to read it because there's other uh, things that I can derive, you know, in my mind and I can invent the characters in my mind and even the narrator's voice in my mind. But the access to that story when I need it. And so, or at least wanted in that case. So it's, you know, I think, it, I think in some ways, this is just a philosophical argument at this point, but I don't even think it's going to be much of an argument mm -hmm. in the future because these tools, in my opinion, I think they're really going to become the norm. Well, and I think it's filling the gap. And then I'm going to go to uh, one that I know you and I both have personal experience with and one that we both know the research really supports. And, you know, as we talk to parents and teachers, especially young teachers, you know, not young in age, but young grade level, kindergarten, preschool, first grade, you got to think hard about the boys, uh, boys. Uh, reading and writing skills just don't quite grow as fast as girls. And we know that from research. We're not just speaking from the parent of two boys who, you know, again, both are great kids, but weren't the devourers of books in preschool, at least mine wasn't, or maybe he would say still today. Yet at the same time, um, the ability to learn information. And I think just remember as parents and as teachers, as kids move up grade levels, about fourth or fifth grade, it's no longer reading, uh, learning to read, it's reading to learn. And so if we don't give that technology, especially to our boys who might be behind, and we know more and more boys end up in special ed than any other you know, group, 
we need to remember that that gap just keeps growing wider and wider if we don't use those tools. And so I think my gut would be both, is the student want it? If the student wants it, by golly, why wouldn't we let them use something that would help them learn? No different than a wheelchair or a pencil grip or you know, a, a multiplication chart. To me, it's just one of those things. But I really do think we have to be more cognizant of earlier adoption, especially for kids who maybe don't have advocates, um, to make sure that gap doesn't get wide. Because once that gap starts, it's really hard to even use technology to close it. So that would be my other one. If you see that gap widening, especially for boys in language, I think technology would be my, my go-to really, really quickly. And in, in my case, my son actually loved and still loves to read. Um, he's actually a fantastic writer, but his handwriting was so bad when he was young. And uh, he would get such bad grades, not because of the quality of his work, but because of his handwriting that he just quit. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're right. There's different, there's different things um, affecting, you know, different kids. And again, kids of all abilities. Um, I would, I would say kind of as we're wrapping up, if, if, if I were a parent and I am, um, and teacher these days, what I, is I would look for the features in the tools that my, my kids are already using. So Microsoft Word, for example, if that's a common tool that's used on, on computers in school and everywhere else, I'd be downloading that app to a phone that my, my child had access to so that he or she could start learning to dictate right into that program. Mm -hmm. It's literally just a, you know, a, a tap of the finger. Uh, on a on a phone to use the Microsoft Word app and to use the the voice to text. Um, we've had we've had doctoral students who have dictated entire dissertations because they were students with learning disabilities. So finding the right program, um, finding the easiest thing to use, and preferably finding one that is used in the school just just so that the students, if they do see the same format when they are on a computer in school versus at home. Um, I would try to keep those things as familiar as possible. And I recommend using something, you know, as basic as Microsoft Word. Yeah, and I guess I just don't want us also to forget those kids that are in the margins. So those kiddos that have limited hand movement, uh, limited eye gaze, um, you know, don't be shy <clears throat> in reaching out to your accessibility, <clears throat> your accessibility centers in your communities or reaching out to those in your schools and finding out what assistive tech is out there because I think it is about access. So uh, I think we both would agree we like technology, uh, we like kids making choices, so you put those two together and if you feel like your student or your child is ready to use it, we encourage you to think in that direction. So thank you for joining us and uh, one last thought there, Becky? I, I did, I did wanna share since you mentioned those kids with other um, more significant possibly um, disabilities, whether they're using eye gaze, whether they are, have very limited mobility. Um, Dragon Dictation is, you know, that is an app that is super simple to use. It's literally one, one big button to push. Um, so I agree 100% that if your student can't, doesn't have the fine motor skills to use something like Microsoft Word because the, the buttons are a little bit smaller and, and it's a different visual design, Dragon Dictation is an easy one. All right. Well, so those are our thoughts. Keep sending us questions at Access Practical on Twitter. Thank you.